Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Richard Puzo. Say hi, Rich. Hello, Mike. I figured, Rich, today before we get started, we'd, we'd give people the, the Sandler story in the form of a Sandler rap. That sound like a good that, idea? I think that sounds great. Good. That's okay, so here comes the Canadian version of the Sandler rap. <laughs> Yo, you salesmen of all the same You don't care about my needs, you don't care about my pain You think about yourself, you think it's all a game You don't ask my opinion, you don't even know my name Salespeople come, and then they're gone They don't care about them, and they ain't there long Just ask for the info, and get the price now Check the competition, the better anyhow These guys are all talk, 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 it's a lie They don't say nothing but I, me, my They sticky and they're selfish and they in my face Soon as I get rid of one, more will take its place. They manipulate, trap, con, and control. They don't know, I'm the master of my soul. I had them running around till they dazed and confused. They shop it to others, I won't be abused. But wait, what's this? Another sales joke. Did he just give me permission to say no? Don't know what to think and I don't know what to say. What's the deal with this guy? It's not the sales way. Guess he hasn't learned how to play the sales game. Not too bright, he's probably not to blame. The boss sent him out without the first clue. I'll try to help him out and Show him what to do Now he asks a question Wait for me to tell All about my world My own private hell They don't seem to care If I leave or buy I don't know what to think Of weird sales guys I'm talking and I'm talking I can't believe my ears I'm telling this guy My big bad fears I'm telling them things That I don't even know I'm letting down my guard And I'm putting on a show Can you help me please Take the lead Can't you hear I'm hurting See me bleed I'm ready to go Move on proceed did he just say it might not be what I need? Well, I'll show him. I just gotta have his stuff. Don't care what it costs or if it's tough. I'm ready to sign. Just show me how. Did he just ask what I wanna do now? So I close the deal and feel real good. Gonna tell this guy about my brothers in the hood. Never ever send another salesman down my line. Gotta have my man, my advisor every time. Well, this is Mike Roth and Richard Puzo back again. I thought I'd announce right now that we're going to uh, change the format of the show a little bit as we move towards 2014, and we're going to be moving down to one new episode per week. There you go. It'll either be on a Thursday or Friday, but it'll be announced with plenty of advance notice. So, Rich, you're one of our more experienced guests. You've been on the show twice before. Yes. Tell tell our uh, audience a little bit more about uh, your business, Sky Eye Weather. Well, our business... You know, it's actually, it's, it's a fun business. What I do is I'm a consulting meteorologist, and a lot of people have never heard of a consulting meteorologist, which 
is one of the challenges of being in my business is because you've heard of consulting everything else, but a consulting meteorologist, what do you do? I mean, what's different from what you do, from what the guys on TV do, the guys at the National Weather Service do? Well, we are sort of the concierge version of the meteorologist. We serve private clients with very specific weather needs. And when I say needs, I'm talking about whether that can actually cost them a lot of money or help them make a lot of money. It's all about money, and that's what that's why they can't watch the guys on TV and they can't listen to the National Weather Service forecast. These kind of clients need specifics. They need someone they can talk to. They need to uh, be able to sleep better at night when there's a major storm coming or if there isn't a major storm coming. We're talking everything from uh, oil, natural gas, that type of things, because energy markets are driven by weather, to crop, agriculture, that type of stuff, also driven by weather. A recent blizzard in the plains killed over 100,000 cattle out there. That affects people, including the insurance companies who've got to pay for that and the farmers out there who lost those cattle. So our business is feeling the pain, if you will, of our customers in the world of weather. They're going to either suffer or benefit knowing what's coming. And in this case, we allow them to plan for that. If they're going to take a loss, they know what to expect. They can budget for it. And if they can make a gain off of it, they're going to do that too. So it's weather consulting. It's concierge weather, Mike. And it's something that uh, so many folks don't really realize is out there. Mm-hmm. We ha- have an understanding now of what concierge medicine is. Yep, we do. And With an entire TV show dedicated to it. So, I mean, you know, on, you didn't know that? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's called Royal Pains. And it's oh. actually, yeah, the guys who are out on the Hamptons. And it's a concierge doctor. And, you know, so I didn't even know there was such a thing until I watched that show. And I'm like, oh, what a neat idea. You pay. Of course, these are all wealthy people paying for their private doctor who's just there when they need them. Well, that's um, out in the Hamptons. Exactly. Long Island. But, but here in Cincinnati, yeah, well, did you know that uh, the concierge doctor service called MDVIP did not is a national chain that is actually owned by Procter and Gamble. Wow, and uh, nice. And frankly, I I'm, I'm one of their clients. Well, why not? It sounds like a neat concept. I mean, to have your own personal doctor you deal with, not having to go through a hospital or another big uh, medical chain, and of course associated with P and G. I suppose you can't beat that. So I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, that's every interesting. every appointment is at least a half hour. Right. So every, you're not just seeing the doctor for five minutes. Then you're right, actually right. <laughs> you actually they actually know you. They know your case. Nice. You're required uh, and is included in the fee as a annual physical, you know, of that variety that you get up at the Mayo Clinic for $1,500. Nice. Wow. So since we're all going to live longer, I figure you might as well live longer healthy. Right. And it's it's having a, a medical coach, a physical coach, in my corner, since I believe in long-term positive reinforcement training and coaching. Mm-hmm. When this was offered to me, I said, gee, that's... Uh, well, I think that there's a, a, you know, I think there's a, an opportunity for that in a lot of fields. And doctors, one of them, meteorology is another one, where we've gotten so used to big chains and, and service. And it, it's fine. They have their purpose, too. But they're serving the same type of thing to a variety of clients. The whole point of concierge is to serve the individual with their unique needs. And no two people are the same. No two weather patterns are the same. So there is a need for concierge in a lot of things. I'd love to have a concierge mechanic for my car, you know, someone who knows my car and just takes care of it. You know, I think there's that. But again, you've got to spend some money, but it's worth it if you're going to get the better service. Hey, you know. Right? I have that on my, my Mercedes. There you go. I have one mechanic up at the dealership. Oh, see, that's great. Gary, who works on my car, and Charlene, the service advisor, you know, we, we recently had a problem. It was a uh, really oddball scenario where the mirrors wanted to look in a different direction. 
that I pointed them to. <laughs> uh, that's artificial intelligence, Mike. It's the no, NSA. No, no. They're taking over, man. It was a component failure. Yeah. But, it, you know, uh, the obvious solution wasn't the obvious solution. It took more hours of diagnostics. It took uh, uh, more parts. But in the end, they charged me what was fair. In fact, gave me a refund on some parts that oh, nice. they, they ordered and put it in and couldn't use because they weren't the right parts. And they know you, and they know you when you come in, mm-hmm. and they know your car. I mean, you, I'm a regular you know, customer right, there. Right, you, you can't know? beat that. So it encourages me to maintain the Mercedes relationship with the dealer because they, they treat me right Absolutely. and fairly. And they have an opportunity to treat me not fairly. Right, right. You know, we see this in a lot of parts of life. People don't realize sometimes that they almost have this going already. If you have a plumber you like, an electrician, a a landscaper, these are sort of your concierge people. They know your house, your lawn, whatever it is, and they come and take care of it. And you trust them. You know that, oh, I have an electrical problem. I know the guy to call on this. And we all like that. We like having the personal service from people we can trust Versus trying to look it up or going into yeah, a big showroom. Sure. I have a handyman service that I trust. There you go. You know. See? So th- that's what we do with meteorology. It's the same thing. It's like, okay, we got a weather question. And these guys aren't just talking about, you know, it's not just about the, their business sometimes. Sometimes the, the VPs will call me and say, hey, look, I'm traveling to New York. What can I expect? Well, look, you're paying me as a client. I'm going to take care of you. I know you. Here's what you can expect. It helps them plan their trip a little bit better. You know, now they're not having to worry about the weather channel, whatever else, or a storm hitting they didn't expect. Their guy said to them, you're going to be fine going to New York, or you're going to run into delays, or whatever it is. Yeah, we're going into the weather season, you know. Absolutely. Well, now we had, we, we had hail here yesterday. <laughs> we did. Well, and actually, technically, and some other people said that to me, but as a meteorologist, I have to be accurate. It was sleet. It was ice pellets. Hail is, is from thunderstorms. But we did. We had our first round of wintry weather Second round, actually, the day before we had snow showers in the area, but yesterday everybody got to see them. And, and for those who live on the east side here, yep. not so much. Right. Up by the Mercedes dealer in Kenwood yep. through Indian Hill, it was bad. Yeah, yeah, you got to the north side, the, and there was even accidents. I heard the traffic reports, a lot of accidents. As the these squalls were hitting, yeah. Well, there, we had a, a more, than a 10 degree, more than 10, 12 degree drop in temperature from 48 to 36. Now, are you doing the weather here, or am I? Because I can do the sales, and if you I like that. I, so, so we have this big. You're right. We did though. It was amazing to see those temperatures drop into the 30s. But you know, and again, for those listening, I mean, what you're having is all this precipitation from the cloud, but it's actually dragging down colder air from a few thousand feet up to the ground. So you felt it. It was a cold wind, and you could see it on your car thermometer. You could see it just at the airport thermometer. Well, I, I could see like a, a half an inch of ice. Yeah. On the hood of my car. Piling up on the yeah yeah. Usually, it, it, it's the hood is warm enough because the engine's running. Right, it just melts right off. But right, it was it was a pretty it good color. Fell that quickly, and that, that's the nature of weather. That's the wildness of it, and that's where it can create some nastiness. So I knew that was going to happen, but trying to figure out which part of town it's going to hit is impossible. But at least we knew our clients knew that. Yeah, we were going to get some wintry mix that day, and you know, and of course, not only here but all across the Midwest, we've had our first killing freeze, which extended all the way down to Georgia. They had temperatures in the 30s. And that is about three weeks early for them. So we're seeing some wild weather, Mike, going into the winter ahead. And I know a lot of folks have been thinking about the coming winter of 13, 14, and what's it looking like. And Farmer's Almanac is out there, and they're talking about a nasty winter for a good part of the eastern U.S. Wait a minute. Farmer's Almanac, which is notoriously. Exactly. Right. Right. 
So, so that's why when I bring that out, because it's always made a big deal of in the media, when I bring that up, I like to say this is probably the first time I'm agreeing with Farmer's Almanac, or I should say they're agreeing with me because my forecast was made back in June. But still, we're on the same page. That's kind of scary. So I'm also looking at that same trend of what should be for the eastern half of the United States, especially a much rougher winter than we've seen in a long time. We're already seeing some examples of that. You know, I was talking to you about this a few days ago. So, so uh, before go we go yeah, on. Yeah, go ahead. Rick has agreed to answer questions, so if you have questions for Rick, the number is, as always, 646-595-4916. Nice. And we'll be screening the calls during the commercial break. Mm-hmm. So you were saying... Uh, well, we, you and I had States. been out at... That's right. We had been out at a networking event just recently, and you and I ran into each other, and we were, you know, I was mentioning, you know, what was coming up, and you said you had this spot open for the radio on Friday. I said, well, let's talk about this, because there are a number of factors coming together. People wonder how meteorologists put together these long-range forecasts, and, you know, how valuable are they? Well, there are clients all over the country paying for them. They must have some value they see in them. Here's why. We can look at trends. To say that Christmas is going to have snow, or that we can't do. But when you're talking about, oh, well, yeah, I know. So I, can't. I thought for sure you were going to predict a white Christmas. Well, I might. I might yet do that, but it depends on what leads up to it. You know, there's actually a technical definition, too. We can all wake up and see snow, but a white Christmas requires one inch of snow on the ground uh, on Christmas morning. So if you see a half inch, I'm sorry, it's not officially a white Christmas. But, you know, there's there's the science end of it for you. But we are, we're seeing things coming together, and we can put trends together, and that's what our clients want to know. And in this case, here are the different factors we're seeing going into this winter, and some that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. For one, the sun, and a lot of people think the sun is controlling our weather. Yeah, I suppose it does. Yeah, the sun is the biggest driver of climate on this planet. It doesn't do it overnight, but think about it. We warm up each day, we cool each night, and so we actually, the sun is our big driver of climate. All right, so when the sun is the weakest it has been in over 150 years, which means none of us listening right now were ever alive when the sun was this weak before, based on the number of sunspots. I won't get onto all the technical stuff, but... We can look back to the 1700s and compare data, and we have not seen a sun like this since the end of the Little Ice Age, which was back in the early 1800s. You actually can measure how hot the sun has been? Not hot. It's actually the number of spots. When we look at the sun, and they can do this through telescopes, which is why we have it back to the 1700s. When you look at the sun, you actually see these little, almost look like uh, moles or freckles or whatever. They're spots, sun spots. Sometimes the sun is blank, which means it's just a bright red-orange glowing ball when you look at it. Other times it has these little spots. The spots are signs of activity, solar activity increasing. When the solar activity is increasing, the sun is actually putting out a fraction more energy. When there are no spots, it's putting out less energy. We have seen that over, well, now three centuries. When you look at this data, you can see that times when the sun is putting out more energy, bigger, more spots, that we have periods of warmer times. When they, the sun goes to sleep, if you will, and has low sunspot activity for multiple decades, then we go into colder periods globally. And that's what caused the Little Ice Age was this reduction in solar energy. Well, there are scientists better than me with their PhDs and everything saying, you know what, we're definitely seeing the spot count now the lowest we've seen it in more than 100 years since the end of the Little Ice Age. And this is starting to remind us a little bit of trends in the Little Ice Age. All right, well, what else do we see? We see Antarctic ice. You don't hear this talked about. Everybody talks about the Arctic. Arctic ice is disappearing. Well, no, it's not. It's actually up 50% from last year. But Antarctic ice just sent a record. Well, that's a big claim, 50%. 50% increase from last year. Oh, it's huge. And the beauty of it is nobody can argue with the data. It's right there on satellites. All you do is look and compare the two images. 
and they can do this digitally, we're up 50% from last year at the same time. So that guy who was vice president who had the film <laughs> showing ice melting. Yes. It's not true. Not true. And, in fact, Antarctica is setting records for the amount of ice there. There's never been as much ice in Antarctica in our satellite record, which goes back to the 70s, as we're seeing right now. So the planetary ice levels are not an issue. If anything, we're worried about them growing. You don't want more ice. That's bad stuff. So we've got Arctic ice on the increase. We've got a lot more snow in Russia earlier this year than last year, which means that that is a field, in an area where we get a lot of our Siberian bitter cold in the middle of winter. If we see snow build up in Russia, we start looking for that to come our way as we get into November and December. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of the other factors uh, when we get back here in a moment. But we are really seeing a nice setup, Mike, for what could be a wild winter here. Okay. If you have a question for Rick, again, the number is 646-595-4916, and the lines are open now. Next, we're going to hear from uh, Jimmy Fox talking about Tip Club, and the next Tip Club meeting is Thursday morning, November 21st from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Jimmy, take it away. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business -business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business -business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Rich Puzo from Sky Eye Weather. Rich, before the break, you were talking about the sunset spot cycle, mm -hmm. and uh, you were kind of giving us a definition of a tougher winter coming up. Right. And here's where, where we're seeing this, because we're seeing the Arctic ice, uh, we talked about that, it's on the increase, much above last year's levels. And when you have more Arctic ice, people think, well, that's 1,000 plus miles away, what does that matter? Well, that's where our cold starts, there and in northern Russia, believe it or not, is where we actually start getting our cold from, it builds, it moves into Canada, and then it moves our way. Now, the easiest way for it to get here is if Canada has a good snow cover as well. Well, Canada is getting a bunch of snow, and as we record this, big storms are heading for Canada from the Pacific Ocean to dump even more. So in the next two weeks, as we get into November, we're actually going to be seeing snow cover across most of Canada, which is fantastic for me. So 
because I say that like, yes, it's death storm, you know, 2013. Well, so we're setting it up. We've got snow building in Canada. We've got the Arctic ice and the increase. We've got a lot of snow. All of northern Asia is covered by snow right now, which is amazing. It was earlier, way earlier than last year and earlier than average. So we've got the setup between the weak sun and all the snow and ice. The other thing, too, Mike, that's coming into play a little bit, and people don't realize this, volcanic activity has been on the increase in eastern Russia, there's an island chain out there called the Kamchatka Islands. And if you look them up, there's their volcanic island chain, very tall volcanoes. Recently, a number of those volcanoes have been spewing ash and smoke up to 20,000, 30,000 feet. Japan, uh, Sacagawea, I believe, is the name of the volcano there. That one has been really active this year. A lot of eruptions. And then down in Indonesia, we've had a number of them. Well, all of these volcanoes are directly or indirectly in the path of the air that flows over the United States. Volcanoes send up not only ash and smoke, but sulfur dioxide. Sulfur dioxide is a great way to reflect incoming solar radiation in its path. So guess what? You have an active jet stream that's picking up this sulfur dioxide, helping to reduce incoming sunshine, which cools the atmosphere even more. And you have all these low-level features suggesting cold. And they're saying, wow. Not only that, studies have shown that when volcanoes are more active, we tend to get what we call more blocking in the jet stream, Mike, which means everything slows down. And if you get into a cold pattern, you could sit there for weeks. If you get into a warm pattern, you could sit there for weeks. It really depends on where you are in the jet stream. You can get into a pattern where you're getting snow for weeks on end or rain. So this is something we're watching for the winter is blocking patterns, the cold that's building, and this jet stream. And let me mention that. Two, as we record this, two typhoons have come together in the Western Pacific Ocean. They're both weakening, but they're spinning around each other, and they're going to form one big ball of energy coming toward the United States. One was named Francisco. The other one was named Lekima, L-E-K-I-M-A. Now, some of these Western Pacific names are not ones we would use, but that's the name of it. These were both at one time super typhoons, which means Category 5 on the hurricane scale. And so these things are now spinning northward into the Pacific Ocean, and will eventually their energy, what's left of them, will head into the U.S., when you get this type of infusion of energy, it's like a, an adrenaline shot into your body. You start, you get the gesturing gets, whoa, okay, we got a bunch of energy to work with. What are we going to do with it? And as we know with physics, you know, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. So we know it's going to go somewhere. Whether it turns into a big storm in the United States or doesn't, we won't know yet. But in the next few weeks, we will know. And if not that, we've just had overall a very busy stormy pattern from Asia across the Pacific. All our storms come from Asia and the Pacific Ocean. So if you want to see where they're coming from in the fall and winter, just look out over the Pacific and you'll see what's coming our way. And that's why we can make a forecast 14 days out because we just look at what's going on in, in, in Russia, in China, and that's what's coming at us. So we've got a lot setting up that says, you know, get ready for some nasty stuff. And, and then, of course, there's just the odds. The odds are we're overdue. We have not had a really rough winter here in the eastern U.S. for a few years. And quite honestly, when the sun is getting into this weaker cycle, the last time we had this type of pattern was the 60s going into the early 70s, even the 50s. A lot rougher winters back then. It looks like we're trending that way. But I think we're going to kick it off with a fun one this year. And you know what the other thing, Mike? The Atlantic. How much have you heard about hurricanes this year? Nothing. Not too much. No, no, no. It's been dead. There's been two hurricanes. Neither of them threatened the U.S. One was named Umberto. It was out near the Cape Verde Islands. It lasted a day. It never touched land. The other one was Ingrid in the Gulf of Mexico. Also, never touched land as a hurricane. It made landfall in Mexico as a tropical storm. So you know what? The Atlantic has been sort of untouched by tropical systems, meaning there's all kinds of heat energy out there because hurricanes form to get rid of heat in the water. Well, that water still got the warmth. Guess what? Winter storms love temperature contrasts. Warm Atlantic waters, snow in Canada, 
we're in between. <laughs> we're in the battle zone here between that warmth in the Atlantic and the cold in Canada, and that's going to set up some exciting storms here. It sounds like you're uh, you're recommending that I go out and buy a new high power snowblower. Well, yeah, yeah, or yeah. For some folks, just get the first snowblower. I even in the last year got a a backup generator because I'm not going to be dealing with power outages in the middle of the cold, and we've also had some decent wind storms, and so I've gotten that. But yes, it might not be a bad year. And for those listening who are not in the immediate Cincinnati area, that's a rare thing here because we don't get enough snow to justify snowblowers most winters. It's about an average of 21, 22 inches in a winter. Well, that doesn't justify a snowblower. But when we do get big storms, they tend to be blizzard-type storms or very heavy snow. Our record snow here was 18 inches, 18-plus inches. So you know what? This might be a year where, you know, just just for peace of mind, having that snowblower around, as we were talking about the concierge before, having the snowblower around give you a little peace of mind maybe this winter. Definitely get the windshield washer fluid stocked up, have some salt ready for the driveways and everything, because you're going to need that uh, that ice melter uh, a lot more often probably than in recent years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rich, if someone wants to reach you, uh, after the show, to talk about sc- what sky weather can do for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Well, has a question. What uh, what number should they use and how do they get a hold of you? They can get a hold of me in a variety of ways. The best way is just directly calling me, 513. It's Sky Eye Weather, 513, Cincinnati area code, 232-7246, 232-7246. And we've always got someone there to answer the phone. And, and again, if we don't, just leave a message there because sometimes we're getting client calls, and if we don't recognize your incoming call, it will go to a message promise you we'll return it right away. 513-232-7246. And I believe that spells rain, 232 rain. But also, you can get a hold of me at rich at skyeyeweather.com. Rich at skyeyeweather.com. And don't hesitate to follow me. I'm at Rich Apuzo on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. You'll have to friend me, so but that's fine. You can follow me there. And I put little posts about big things coming up. But it's always more of a tease because my clients are the ones I'm working for. Facebook is not who I'm working for. But if you want to know what's going on in the weather, I'll put little posts there. But Twitter, Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, hey, there's plenty of ways of finding me. Just type in Rich Apuzo, and you're going to find me and all the bad stuff, too. Just type in If you want to search out the bad stuff, you can do that as well. But, yeah, it's all there. That is the beauty of the Internet. No matter what I've done, it's there online. But, yes, Sky Eye Weather, and we'd love to see it. Go to the skyweather.com homepage. You can see what's going on there, too, Mike. So a lot of ways to reach out. Good. Good. Uh, Let's uh, ask one more question here, Rich, before we go to another commercial break. And, again, the number is 646-595-4916. We do have a couple of open lines. Uh, Rich, in looking for uh, clients, the last time you were on, you said you were looking for insurance companies' clients. I was uh, hoping you could elaborate on that. What can you do for an insurance company? Well, I have an insurance company as a client, but there's always plenty of them out there. And what I can do for an insurance company. And you know what? The the beauty of of what we do, Mike, even what you do in Sandler Sales is trying to figure out – sometimes the client themselves will figure it out for you, but trying to figure out how it is that what you do will fit with what they do. And, you know, because you're selling and everybody sells, and so that would be a natural, but no, not everybody sells the same way, and sometimes it's tough to convince them that the Sandler way is the best way, but I would agree that it is. There's a lot of great psychology involved, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very good way to just to discipline yourself. Well, with what I do with weather, is the same type of thing. Part of it is educating the client because most are going to be like, uh, weather consultant, what's that? All right, so now we go through the concierge thing. But then after that, for someone like an insurance company, look, we're not talking about life insurance here or auto insurance, although it could touch on that. One of the companies I work for handles trucking insurance, 
Why? Truckers, there's lots of them on the road. They're carrying very expensive loads. They need to know if a blizzard is about to shut down three or four states worth of highways because that's going to impact their shipping or if the trucks get stuck, worse of all, and lose their, their, their load uh, or have damage, then they're going to be taking in a lot of claims. If there's a way they can get the word out to their people, and they can, uh, to let them know that something bad is coming, that would help. Or if nothing else, the insurance company can say, okay, we got a major storm coming. We're going to get a lot of claims. Let's get ready for this. Uh, the tornado outbreak a few years back down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama is a classic example. By knowing ahead of time that a major outbreak was coming, insurance companies start uh, ramping up their teams that are going to go into these areas, get them down there even before the storms hit. Because sometimes after storms hit between civil defense, police, and whatever, you're not getting in. So they will get teams down there ahead of time to start taking care of claims in the areas expecting damage or as close as possible. And then once the tornadoes hit, the good insurance companies, they're there with their agents saying, okay, let's help you out here. Let's get the claims going. So I, I just happened to have been down in Tuscaloosa you, after those, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. those tornadoes yep. went through. And there were uh, city, city blocks just plain wiped, wiped out. out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was staying in a hotel. And, you know, the hotel was mainly undamaged except a couple of lampposts were taken down. Wow. And they were like... Uh, Two by four boards sticking through the uh, outer stucco shell of the hotel. Oh yeah, they went in there like bullets. Mike, we have pictures. People can search this online. You're talking about boards. There have been things as small as a drinking straw that have gone through a tree because, again, just the force of the motion of that thing, you couldn't push a drinking straw through a tree. But when you're traveling at 200 miles an hour, then it becomes like a missile. We actually call missiles, and it will. It'll penetrate a tree trunk just a plastic drinking straw, uh, phenomenal. And that's the danger of tornadoes we talk about is don't think about it as, as something that's going to destroy. Just cover your head, cover your body. It's the wind. It's everything moving in that wind that tornado has that, that can rip you apart. Yeah, that's we, why you it, got it. We were in the hotel like on the fifth or sixth floor. Oh, yeah, right. Looking out over a whole neighborhood that was devastated. Yeah. It was essentially gone. Yeah. Every house, every business was leveled. It was, you know. It was... It was really strange because yeah. two blocks away, you never knew. Everything's fine. And you know, the other thing is those, that happens in 20 seconds, 30 seconds a minute. People don't realize sometimes a tornado is not some all-day event. It comes, it goes in a matter of minutes, and in just those minutes, those blocks are wiped out. And that's the, the, the scary part of it. This year, we had these couple of big ones in Oklahoma City. Now, this year, believe it or not, speaking of tornadoes, Mike, we're going to have a record probably for the fewest tornadoes ever recorded since 1950 when we started tracking them. So we're actually having a quiet tornado year, but what stands out are these two big ones that hit Oklahoma City, and sadly, really sadly, because, of course, there's always loss of life and property, but this year, for the first time ever, we lost storm chasers. We actually had, I think, five of them die. Three in one car was a father and son as well. Uh, and just, just tragic. And these guys were, you know, long-time chasers. Their goal is not to get into a tornado, but to get close to it, to get video. Why don't you tell us after we come back? Absolutely. Let's do how it. How that happened. Let's listen to a couple of Sandler commercials here. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real. He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. 
For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth and Richard Puzo. Rich, before the break, you uh, mentioned about the storm chasers that were killed yes. in Oklahoma. And these guys were experienced storm, storm chasers, and I, I have some recollection that their storm chasing vehicle, which was a specialty vehicle, was actually uh, here at Cincinnati a couple of years ago. Yeah, actually, there's a number of chasers out there, and I think the vehicle that came to town here was not part of this guy's, the one who died, but it was another group of chasers. They brought this armored car-type vehicle, and mm-hmm. they've, they've really, and they still do this. Uh, Discovery Channel stopped running the show. They were doing it for a couple of seasons, and actually the guy who died was part of that show and then got out of it because he, he just thought it was more about the competition of finding a tornado than the science of it, but that's another story. But they had brought that car, which is, again, it's heavily armored, uh, and it's meant to withstand very strong tornadoes. I don't think they've ever... Exactly. Bulletproof glass. glass. I mean, a little dome on top with the guy with the camera who can sit in it so he can get great video. This thing... Sadly, unfortunately, cannot go through you know grass or mud because it's just too heavy. So they got to stay on terra firma, solid roads. But they do get really close to tornadoes with that. They've they've had a few small ones move overhead. So yeah, the storm chase thing is quite a phenomena. Really got going back in the '80s with the, especially after the release of the movie Twister with Helen Hunt, um, because you know the suddenly there was the the glamorization, if you will, of storm chasing. And a lot of people, I'll even go to schools now, and kids will be like, oh, I want to be a storm chaser when I grow up. And I tell them, well, that's not a career. I mean, very few actually get paid. And the ones that do, it's usually because they're doing a tour, and they're taking people on a storm chase tour, and that's only during the summer, so it's a, it's a part-time job. And then the other ones are researchers, and you'd have to be working for a school or for a, for a storm prediction center for the government. Otherwise, you're not getting paid for storm chasing. You're doing it because it's something you really enjoy. You may turn it into something like uh, maybe you get video and you sell the videos, and a lot of people do. Well, this year, we had these tornadoes, and it's a quiet year for them. So the chasers were out in Oklahoma City uh, expecting to catch up with some big ones. 
uh, this early spring in 2013. And it was, let's see, May 31st, I believe. I'm looking at Wikipedia because Tim Samaras, who's the guy who died, and his son, and I want to say it was Paul, and I'm trying to see if his name is in here, but they were both killed in it. Tim ran a company called Twistex. And Twistex, they were a storm chase team. They did the research. Uh, very good guy. He was 55 years old when he was killed earlier this year uh, in this tornado. And they were always, Tim was an engineer by trade, and he even invented these little um, uh, measuring tools. They were like little domes he would put in fields in, in the path of a tornado. He created the type of little setup that when a tornado moved over it, it wouldn't lift up. You know, Because in the movie Twister, if people remember that, what Helen Hunt and their team were doing is trying to put instruments in the path of a tornado, and they called it Dorothy, I believe is what they called it, and they tried to put them in the path of the tornado to get the tornado to suck up all these little balls that had radio receivers in them, and it would radio then uh, information about the tornado back to a receiver. Well, that system actually has been tried in the past. It didn't work, it, and it wouldn't work for a variety of reasons. So the next thing is, and Tim came up with this idea in real life, put something in the ground that could stay that's aerodynamic. So they, I think they called them turtles. And, and, and it really was. It was a shell of metal with a camera in it, so it had glass as well, much like that vehicle, but smaller. And they would drop these things in the path of the tornado, and they had tornadoes actually move over them. So they got some great measurements of what it was like to have a tornado pass directly over a measuring device, which is a rare thing to have happen, and to survive, of course. And so that was brilliant. Well, they went out this May to try and chase some tornadoes around the Oklahoma City area. They knew it was going to be a busy day. It turns out that about, and I, it's amazing now, with tracking software, you know, people worry about tracking. There are some really cool apps out there to help you keep up with your friends. One of them for storm chasers allows a GPS map showing where all the storm chasers are. So since then, you can find this online. If you look up the El Reno Tornado, and that's R-E-N-O, El Reno Tornado and Storm Chasers, you can probably find the animation that shows all these little dots on a map where every storm chaser was in their car trying to follow this El Reno Tornado. Well, there were about 90-plus chasers, Mike. It was phenomenal, which is kind of scary. Think of 90 vehicles driving around, all trying to get out of the way of a monster tornado. Someone's bound to have an accident. In this case, no one hit each other, but this tornado grew in such a way and moved in such a way. How wide is this tornado when it hits the ground? Well, see, the tornadoes vary in width. They could be a few feet, well, generally 10, 20, 30 feet at the smallest, and then they could be up to two miles wide at the largest. This thing was registered over uh, around two miles. That's huge. That's 10,000 feet wide. They call that a wedge tornado. It was phenomenal. And it, it may not have been just a funnel that was that wide. The funnel may have been smaller, but the tornado's winds extended out for two miles. So that's a phenomenal damage path. When you saw what you did in Tuscaloosa, you can imagine then, wow, if something nearly two miles wide is moving through town, yeah, it's going to wipe out yeah. entire neighborhoods. In Tuscaloosa, I saw a path that looked like it was 90, 100 feet wide. Yep, exactly. And that's more typical. Even that was a powerful one, but more 100 feet wide is more where you're going to get that strong winds. This one was a bigger one, and it did. It was one of the widest ever recorded it was initially recorded as an F5 or EF5, the top of the scale, but they've later downgraded it to an EF3 because it didn't do the damage of an EF5 tornado. doesn't matter. It still killed a number of people, and all those people killed, or I should say the majority of them, were in vehicles. And they were it hit during rush hour. So you had people in cars on busy highways in Oklahoma City, and where could they go? Just imagine if you're in Cincinnati or wherever you live, a busy highway. Sitting on 275 exactly. out there. Exactly. 75, 71, 275 in traffic. Where are you going to go when a tornado's hitting? You can't do anything except maybe get out of your vehicle. You're so stuck. people were storm chasers. Yep. Weren't they in an yep. armored vehicle? No. No, they were not. Most storm chasers are not. 
They're just in, in fact, here's what's even more to the story, which is kind of sad. There's a, a heavily, they have a stronger vehicle they typically use for this. But for some reason, I'm trying to remember what Tim decided that day, but they didn't take the regular vehicle. They had a Chevy Cobalt they were out chasing. It's a small little car. And they, they had a few Cobalts they used generally just to stay back from the storm, look at it from a distance. They didn't really intend to get this close. So they were in a car that itself was not as well equipped as a bigger SUV or something, which they normally take out. So it just didn't add up right. They had three people in the car. They thought they were at a safe distance. Tim always took these precautions as an engineer. He never wanted to get close to a tornado. But sure enough, this thing came around on them. They didn't see it. It formed almost overhead and made a turn they didn't expect, they and a few others. In fact, uh, one of the guys from the Weather Channel, he survived, but the vehicle, the Weather Channel Storm Chase vehicle, also got picked up and tossed and crushed. They got out of it. The guys, uh, Tim Samaras and his son and a friend who were with them on this chase, all died in their vehicle that day. It's a tragic story because to this day, prior to that, we were able to brag that storm chasers have never gotten killed because they're smart enough to keep out of the way. And I'm still not going to take it away that they're smart enough. They just got caught in something they didn't expect, and it shows that nature can still have some nasty surprises, and you've got to be careful around these things. Hmm. You know, but look, it's a risk you take. It's just like getting up and crossing the street so in the morning. guy, Rich, is buying a new snowblower this year. Did I get that right? <laughs> you know what? I've got two professional snowblowers already. They're called my sons, and we'll just let them work it off for now, and then we'll worry about the snowblowers. Okay, so you bought a whole house electric generator? I got the generator, yeah. yeah. The whole well, house. not the whole house. No, I, don't, I didn't do the whole house yet. You know, and for those looking at it, it's a big commitment. I have enough to run the essentials. This thing is a great little thing. It just powered up, and it's easy to power up, even as a key starts. So I just started up with a key. It's well done, and it, it was a heck of a lot more. I think the, the whole house was going to be like $15,000, something like that. So I said, you know what, we'll hold off on that for now. But that is a goal, because ideally to have something that just kicks on as soon as the power goes out and takes care of your whole house, sounds like a dream, but that's an investment as well. Um, and a lot of them are gas-powered, you know, uh, propane-type powered and stuff, or liquid natural gas. So you, you know, you got gasoline powered. I have a gasoline powered, yes, and it's ready to go, and it's got the uh, the stabilizer in it for the fuel, so it it'll run all year round because gasoline can get old. I mean, I've thought of all these things, but yes, it is, and I've actually tested it out. Every few months, I'll run it just to test it, make sure it's ready to go. So, and I've got a bunch of firewood too. I have stocked up on firewood because I'm like, okay, I know it's going to be a cold winter. I'm buying firewood, and we're loaded up with ash, which is a great firewood to burn. And so we got that, and I've got the generator. So I'm set for most of it, and I've, I've got the salt too. So, I mean, you know what? I'm prepared for it, and that's what I do for my clients. Now, I'm not telling them to buy salt and generators, but you know what? When one of my clients is a banking client, has 1,500 branches, and they know it's going to be a much more active winter, they're not so much worried about power outages as they are clearing those parking lots to make sure customers can get into the bank, to make sure they're not falling on ice because that will lead to lawsuits. So they've got a, And they actually have a, a lawsuit budget. I didn't even realize this, but these businesses have a lawsuit budget knowing that someone's going to come in and say, oh, I slipped on ice in front of your bank, and so now I'm suing you. All right, well, we'll take care of you. So this is the type of thing that they're looking for is, okay, how much are we going to need to have these snow plows this year? How much are we spending on snow operations and salt and other treatment? You know, how much is heating going to cost? Because they will figure in their utility budget, if it's going to be a really cold winter, using a lot more heat. In the hot summer, a lot more air conditioning. 
If it's a dry summer, a lot more water for the landscape. They want to keep their landscape looking pretty around these bank branches. That means water. And some places in the country have water restrictions. You can't just water whenever you want. Like in Florida and some other places, you have to water at designated times. So there's a lot that goes into just a simple weather forecast for these folks. Well, it's not simple, but it's something you can't do by just looking at a TV guy. They need specifics so they can make, literally, Mike, no exaggeration, multi-million dollar decisions. And so there's a little pressure on me, but, you know, I just got a new client now. I'll tell you really quickly about him. Uh, and this is going to be a whole ton of work for me, and I'm almost nervous going into it. But it's a client. It's, a, it's an actual another bank. And this client has to – they have to do a study because their main branch and their backup branch are too close to each other. I didn't know that banks have to have an off-site facility more than 25 miles away. Well, these aren't. And so now they need a weather study. For the past so many years, we've got to look at all tornadoes, all lightning, all hail, all whatever threat in this area, and see if it can affect both branches at one time. And if it can, then they're going to have to move to another backup site, then do another study. Well, that's a lot of research. That's literally dozens of hours of research on my part to provide the weather information they need just to get their study started. So it's amazing where weather plays a role in a lot of what these businesses do, Mike. Good. Again, Rich has agreed to answer questions. We have a couple of open lines. The number is 646-595-4916. Let's listen to a San LaRue. Let's listen to San LaRue number four. Hi, I'm Gary Harvey with Sandler Training. I'm here to discuss with you today rule number four. A decision not to make a decision is making a decision. Have you ever yourself, have you gone out shopping for something, you had a salesperson show you whatever it is you're looking for, and you really have an interest to buy, but you're not really sure. Flip side, you may actually realize you really don't want to buy it, but you don't want to hurt their feelings. So you use the most proverbial words in sales that salespeople don't want to hear, but they're willing to accept called the proverbial think it over. I'm a firm believer in all the salespeople that I have coached throughout my career, that that really is a code for the word a slow no. I had a client recently that was proposing a fairly large project to a prospect. Prospect said, gee, you looked interesting. We have a lot of interest in what you're offering. And by the way, we really like you. So one of the things that made him feel like I've got it. So they said, let us get back to you the next week. But this looks really good, but we do need to think it over. We're a firm believer at Sandler Training that if it's going to be a think it over, nine out of ten times, it's going to be a no, but they don't want to tell you that. We're also firm believers that if it's going to be a no, we all know this intellectually, don't we? We want to know right up front. But emotionally, we don't want to hear those words. So plant your feet, stand your ground, and be willing to say to a potential client, with all due respect, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, that decision not to make a decision really is making a decision. And it's a no in my world. And it's okay to tell me that. This is Mike Roth and Richard Puzo. Uh, Rich, I always like to ask our guests if they have a leadership tip for our listeners. You're leading your company now for how many years? Uh, since 2003, 2004, so eight years. Well, eight, uh, ten years? Yeah, ten, ten years. years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, really flying by. You must have a leadership tip. Well, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, this is going to sound really simple. There's a number of tips. One of the ones I've always lived by, I heard it from someone else. And I've, I've always lived by it, and I think everyone should. It's a common one, but it's not lived up to enough, and that is under-promise and over-deliver. One of the things I've always done is, you know, I want to make sure that 
I know what I can do for a client, and then when I, I say, okay, here's what we can do, and they agree to it, I take that extra step to go beyond what I said I was going to do and even you know, try and tie in some extra stuff in there and say, you know what, I thought about this as I was working on it, and I decided to add this as well. Not that it's, I'm not shaving myself, you know, cutting myself out of money. What I'm doing is providing them a little bit extra for what they've asked for to say that I'm going to go take that extra step for you. I'm going to make sure that I'm looking out for different things. Maybe we didn't think of when we talked about this, but it's something that I'm looking at now. Maybe it is just that, that personal call that I'll make saying we've got something big coming when that wasn't part of our original thing. It's a matter of just going beyond what you agreed to do to do more. And it could just be little things. It could be little things for a contractor even. If someone comes over to my house and uh, one of the things we're getting done is, and we need it is we're getting windows installed. Okay, well, that's a big expense. Well, I will see what happens when they're done, but I'll be impressed if not only do they put the windows in, but they do a nice job cleaning up everywhere so that there's no debris left behind. Uh, you know, all these little things that I say to myself, it, when they leave, it should be nicer than when they came, aside from just the new windows. I've always believed in that. When, when, when my family rented houses, before we owned ours, we used to rent houses. I always said, I'm going to leave this house when we're done renting it cleaner and in better shape than when we started renting it. We always did. That was a goal. Now, whether or not the landlord cared, most of them had a really good response to that, but whether or not they did, that wasn't the point. It was my just mission to say, I'm going to always do the best I can, be a top-notch leader, and by setting an example for my kids uh, and for others around me, you hope that they'll do the same thing. So being a good leader is about setting an example. It's not just what you do in private, of course, but it's also setting that example for your employees to see, others around you to see, and not only that, Mike, but it's also giving back, too, and I know Sandler's big on this. You're big on this. It's about giving back to the community. So I'm also involved in a lot of volunteer organizations, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, which, again, is volunteer on my part. I just help out where I can. So that's where leadership comes in, in both what you give that's not for profit, that's just giving back to your community to make it a better place for business, and at the same time what you do in your own company to, to, to lay down good foundations and philosophies for being a good business because business isn't just about making money. It's also about making sure that you're providing a good product because a lot of people can make money. They're called scams, but that's not good business. No, it's not good no. Business. so you want, to be, you want to be morally, ethically honest. You want, to, you want to be a good provider of a service, and that's what we look to do. Good. You know, I'm glad you said that. There's a certain business leader in Cincinnati I found out was visiting uh, Club Fed. Really? Yes, I didn't know that. Uh, Interesting. You got put away. Wow. Bad stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we're not talking about bad stuff. Let's talk about uh, your business and prospecting. You're doing business with a, a couple of banks yes. and an insurance company or two. How are you going about, uh, if you share with our, our listeners, how are you going about prospecting into other banks and insurance companies, the types of desirable opportunities that, that you're looking for? Well, you know, certainly one of the things that uh, I've even learned through Sandler, through you, uh, is that in a way, and this is going to sound a little counterintuitive to the listener, but you're actually trying to get people to say no. You're actually trying to weed out people. You're not trying to, to build your pool bigger. You're almost trying to make it smaller. You've got your pool of people out there, and you're trying to eliminate as many of them as possible. Why? Because the goal is not to waste your time trying to figure out if every if you can get make a dollar here or a dollar there. You're trying to get to the clients which are going to fit you best and your service will fit them best. And that's not going to be someone who's maybe a roofing contractor who has one crew and pays me $200 a month. I, you know, I don't get out of bed for that. That's not helping me. I'm doing a lot of work for these guys for 200 bucks. Not worth it. They may need weather. They can go to the Internet. But when it comes to me prospecting, what I'm doing is, is a couple of things. First of all, 
you know, and this is true in any part of life, whether it's family, friends, work associates, you do networking. You reach out to people who know other people. And by networking, you get your name out a little further. They're going to know somebody. If they don't know somebody specifically, they're going to know somebody who knows somebody. Eventually, you get to the person you need to talk to. And I know the, the industries I'm going after, so it's a matter of getting into those doors and the only way to really get into those doors successfully is, is not through a gift box or, you know, or an email or a phone call. It's really through an introduction. And an introduction comes from networking and someone saying, yeah, I know Rich Abuzo. Let me introduce him to you know, Joe Schmo over here. And Joe, Joe's the VP of you know, resources for our company, and he will make these decisions on this and, and then introduce you to the other VPs who will want to be involved in this. And that's how all of these clients have gotten have gotten there. I never personally walked up to the door and started knocking, but I got an introduction from someone else who knew them. And then within their industry, a lot of times you could say, okay, you're doing this. Can you recommend someone else that you know that's doing this that might be interested in my service as well? Because if they're buying your service, well, then clearly they find the value in it. So have them recommend someone else who might see that value in it. So a lot of it is networking and then making sure that you ask the right questions so you're not spending a lot of time trying to nail down a client, which is just eventually going to say no anyway. Try and get to that no as quickly as possible. And if you realize that, you know what, they're filling all the things that, that we're wanting yes on, but you might have yourself a pretty good client at the end of that. It could take multiple calls. You know, none of these things happen overnight. My best clients, the insurance company I have took better than two years. But you know what? After two years, we convinced them that there is something we can do together. They saw the need, and we kept a good relationship going. You know, don't burn your bridges out there. So once you establish these things, maybe it doesn't work now. Maybe you come back to it, Mike. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I, I saw you out at the Schmoozapalooza for the uh, right. chamber on Tuesday. Cincinnati Chamber, yeah. yeah. They had about 550, 600 people out there. Yeah. Uh, I know we walked away with uh, well over 50 leads. Well, I'll tell you what, you... Uh, you know, my desk uh, is all full of them. I was going to say, and you had an amazing spot there. I was out at this thing, and you walk literally in the door. Once you check in, there was Mike Roth in the Sandler booth. That was fantastic positioning. Uh, you know, and, and it's not something you can plan. They just put you in a great spot because I did visit as many of the vendors as I could. The whole goal was to meet these people and see where they might, you know, work with me or what I can do for them. And, uh, and there were some in the middle which were so tight to get through, I didn't really feel like going in there. So folks on the ends with this big wide open space like you had and a number of other businesses, I enjoyed talking to them because we had a lot of room and they were right there when I walked in. So, yeah, you did. I'm not surprised that you got a number of leads out of that. And uh, that's what it's all about. Look, these events, the chamber, okay, you spend a few hundred dollars a year, whether it's Cincinnati, Claremont County, Northeast Cincinnati, Loveland, Sharonville, or anywhere around the country. It's a worthwhile investment. These the whole point of Chambers is working with business. That's what they do. So if you join the Chamber, then become involved in it. Don't just pay a fee and say that, okay, now leads should come my way. It doesn't work that way. You've got to put your, your effort into it, which is going out to their events, being part of their committees, getting to know other business people. And then when you do that, then they're going to introduce you to other people and say, oh, yeah, I'm on this committee with Rich because we did a golf outing for the Claremont Chamber. I'm on that, jet, that uh, outing committee, and we're doing it for 2014. By meeting people in that, that little committee, it's about 10 Different business people. Now I've gotten to meet people I never met before. You know, I happen to believe in the downtown Cincinnati Rotary. Rotary, uh, fantastic, yes. Good folks, good organization. There are three hundred and over three hundred members of the downtown Rotary. Yep. Uh this Tuesday, the twenty ninth. Yeah, twenty ninth, yeah. Coming up so fast. Yeah, really. Uh, nice. From seven thirty to nine AM we're having a prospective member meeting at the Kenwood Country Club. Nice place too. Hey. There you if go. If you'd uh like to uh be officially invited. Uh, drop me an email, Mike okay, Roth at rothconsulting.net. I'll 
And how many people can you invite? Can you invite a whole bunch? We have over 45 prospective members coming in there. Wow. And there will be about 50 uh, Rotarians there. Nice. Hey, it's a great group. It is. Uh, If you want to meet business leaders and decision makers, Rotary is is definitely uh, one of the tickets to use. And they live up to the other end of it because, Mike, what do they raise money for all the time? Children. Absolutely. Phenomenal. They have a great cause. And oh, I've been to these Rotary meetings. I've, I've actually presented at one of them. And it was neat because their focus is giving back to the community. And you know, one, of the, one of the best things is you, you, you presented about two months before the Rotary picnic. Yes. <laughs> and you got up there in front of uh, 300 people. It was a packed room, yeah. That we're going to have a beautiful day at the end of September on the day of the picnic. Right. And that day came up, and that was the only time we had a beautiful day all day. It worked out really well. I was so thrilled because I know you guys have a car show and everything That's out right. there, and I know you bring a car, and I thought, I don't want it to be stormy, and these guys bringing cars out when I told them it would be nice. Not that anybody would understand. We're talking two months ahead of time, but still, that was fun. Uh, and, you know, again, a great group, very welcoming uh, and just uh, and these are business people. These are all, and it's not just, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's not just the low-end folks. These are your VPs. These are your decision makers, especially with the Rotary. Mm-hmm. you got, you got the big people there. Those are the people you want to meet. They're the ones you want to spend time with. And you know what? Maybe it's just an introduction at first. Then maybe a month or two later, you're talking a little bit about business. Maybe a year later, you're finally settling on a big contract. You don't know. But by establishing these connections, Boy, it's amazing. It's multiplicity. I mean, people see it in, in what they call pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing, but it's all the same idea. The more people you reach out to that you can have as connections, the more it's going to bring the wealth your way in a variety of fashions. But Let me certainly, tell you a, yeah. a real, real, world, real world rotary story. Uh, a few years ago, they were having a convention in Barcelona, Spain. I had never been to Barcelona. <laughs> sure. So I told my wife we're going to go. We took a 10-day cruise through the Baltic, and nice. on the cruise, you at that time, you sit with the same people. I sat down with the president of the Rotary Club for dinner, breakfast and lunch, uh, of Baltimore, Maryland. Hmm. I wound up turning him into a client. Nice. Yeah. That wow. Was a, that was a nice plus for the cruise. But we're in Barcelona, and a Rotarian was there from Procter & Gamble. Ah. Uh-huh. And I said, let's have dinner together. And we go out and walking around in Barcelona. We had the address of this, this restaurant, and we couldn't find it. Up and down the street, <laughs> the addresses jumped. We couldn't find it. Wow. And we, we were lost. And uh, he finally stops a passerby and breaks into perfect Spanish. Oh, my goodness. And you look at the guy. He didn't look Hispanic to me. He had an Anglo last name. Sure, yeah. Uh, Anglo first name. And I said, uh, Mike, uh, that was his first name. Uh, uh, how'd you do that? Yeah. And he tells me, oh, I was in a Green Berets. Oh, my and, gosh. And, uh, you know, Black Hawk Down, that was my crew. Wow. And oh, we, my gosh. We had a great dinner at this Spanish restaurant. It was at the back of an alley. And he said, how can I help you? And I said, well, you can introduce me to someone over at P&G. We got back to town. He introduces me to someone. One call close. Wow, nice. A really big account. Yes. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that happens through Rotary. Yes. You get to know people. You get to help the community. Uh, we help wipe out polio in every one of our President's Club uh, classes. Uh, Rick, let's uh, let's kind of wrap up around uh, around this thing. Yeah. Uh, 
complex problem with a complex solution. We have a theory here that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Perhaps you could share a complex problem that you encountered at Sky Eye Weather and the equally complex solution that you used to solve it. Well, you know what? We'll start with the other end of that example, which is the complex problem with a simple solution. This is where our service comes into play because if you have a complex problem, let's say that you are running in this case, um, let, let's go with another one of my clients who is a, ma- a facilities maintenance company. They deal with what they say, facilities maintenance. They are managing and maintaining facilities all over the country. This is a huge company I work for. Okay, and that company with an accident. Exactly, exactly. Good folks, and they do take care of a lot, and they, they are a company that likes acquiring other companies, and so they've got a big uh, database and a big, uh, big portfolio, if you will, not only of companies they serve, but ones they've purchased to help what they, they do. Well, okay. So their complex problem is we have buildings all over the country. They are affected by weather, whether it's severe weather, whether it's snow, whatever. It's a- all right, the simple solution is we'll just watch the weather channel, see what's coming. We'll watch the hurricane center to see when hurricanes are threatening our Florida properties. Uh, a storm prediction center for, you know, but that, that, even that doesn't sound simple, but that would be the typical simple solution is let's just go to what's publicly available and just take that. Well, that doesn't work for these folks. That kind of stuff leads to, A, Let's say that there's guys in 10 different cities watching their local 10 different meteorologists. You're getting 10 different weather forecasts for 10 different cities, but all from different people, not a consistent message. They want a consistent message. Secondly, hurricanes coming. One model says this, another says this. The hurricane center serves the public. It's not serving the client specifically. The client wants to know about my properties. I don't care what the, the, the tide warnings are. And all. They need specifics. So the complex solution is we go through, find out exactly where their properties are, what kind of weather parameters affect those. Hey, a 20-mile-an-hour wind is not a problem. Once it gets to 80 miles an hour, that's a problem. If we're going to shut down, if the, if the hurricane is going to hit, we have to get employees out. Banks, by law, cannot be closed more than three days. So a hurricane can destroy the bank like you saw in Tuscaloosa. It can wipe it out. They have to open it in three days, meaning they have to have a truck there that acts as the bank. They have to have people getting to their money. So they have to have a plan. I work with them on that plan, saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. This storm's coming. Here's the potential of what it can do. We're going to track it each day. I'm going to update you twice a day until this thing hits. Once it does, we'll see where it goes after that. They're ready to go. They've got teams in place. There's no way they could do that with a simple solution. They, I have to know where they are, what kind of people are involved, who I've got to talk to, and just how often they need the weather information from me. So, Mike... The, the, the most complex problems do, in fact, re- require a complex solution, but that requires that you know someone who can provide that, and it's not going to be what you can find out there free. You're going to spend a little money, but it's going to give you a lot of easing of the pain if you can spend that money. That's just like having the generator. It's like having the concierge doctor, the concierge mechanic. By doing that, by committing to it, you have a comfort level you cannot get by just hoping things work out the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm just curious, Rich, how many companies like Sky Eye Weather are there in America that provide private weather forecasts? Well, I don't know the number, but I know there's a bunch. But I say a bunch, probably less than, fewer than 20, maybe 25. So it's not a big group. One thing I've always said, I don't know that I'll ever, I mean, occasionally you might bump into someone who has another client, but generally you're not going to overlap. There are so many businesses that could use weather information that don't have it that if you do it right, you'd never run into another company providing your clients because there's so many clients out there. But, Mike, there are very few. That means the prospects are large, and I just got to take advantage of them. Good. Rich, again, I want to thank you for uh, 
coming down to the show to be our guest. Always a pleasure. And uh, we're going to be giving you a, a new Sandler book that you haven't read yet. I've read them all. I love it. Good. I, mean, I can't wait to get the new one because I love reading these. Good. Okay. And uh, Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.